0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's going on, everybody? Rob Dolster here, Field of Sixty Eight Media Network with a brand new episode of the top dogs podcast and look i cannot emphasize enough just how fucking excited i am for some real honest to god uconn basketball to be back in my life with all due respect to delaware state and all due respect to unc wilmington and all due respect to buffalo they're good programs i only get so much joy out of watching uconn dog walk teams that they paid to come into their building and get beat i know why coaches play by games early we talked about this on the last episode and i think we can all agree for a team that has yet to play a game at full strength this season, having a few easy ones early in the year was probably a little bit of a benefit. It was not the worst thing in the entire world. If all we get out of them is a chance for Jordan Hawkins to get some minutes in his legs and Andre Jackson to get into a little bit of better shape and uh, get a little bit of a feel for the ball and get back to being what he was at the end of last season, I think that that's probably a good thing, especially with this tournament coming up in Portland. So I don't want to talk too much about those games. I said it a few episodes back. The numbers in those particular matchups were not something that I was all that worried about. What I was worried about was... Is Alex Canterbury going to make shots? How good of a defender is he going to be? Is he going to be switchable? Is he going to be in the right place? Is Tristan Newton going to be able to get to the basket? Is he going to be able to draw fouls? Is he going to be able to do things like I have a 20, 11, and 10 triple-double in a basketball game? He can. Um, it's about developing depth. Uh, it's about making sure... That um, that Donovan Klingon is comfortable playing second fiddle to, to Adama Sinoga and he knows exactly what he needs to be doing. It, it's, it was all those things that go beyond simply seeing whether or not, you know, your best player and all American is going to be able to get 20 points a game against competition that shouldn't be on the same floor. Two weeks in, I feel really good about where UConn is at this point, although I'm not going to lie, I don't feel quite as good as John Fanta does, about these Huskies. Let's roll to that for just a second from the DTF podcast that we recorded on Monday morning. Want to hear something wild? Here's mm-hmm. a wild stat for you. you know who the highest-ranked team in the Big East on Ken Palm is? Who? Do you guys know? Yeah, Fanta, do you know? I know. You don't know? You don't know?
2: I've had, had them four out of five games to start the season.
1: Yeah, I know. UConn. You are basically... It's got to be UConn. <laughs> You're basically the beat writer, right? No, it's, it's wild to me that if they are... Well, one, I don't think they're the best team in the Big East. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Creighton is currently undervalued on Ken Palm. Um, But I think that that says a lot about the Big East, if this UConn team is the best team in that conference. Because I I think UConn is like a – if they get to the second weekend, it's going to be a really good year for them. That's kind of where I'm at with this team. Is that crazy? Do you think they're better than that, Fanta? You're giving me a look.
2: I think they're really, really
1: good. I do too. I think they're good. I
2: mean, I'm telling you right now, this is the best team he's had.
1: I, no, I agree with you there. And he hasn't been out yeah, the first weekend.
2: They are, here's the deal they come at you in waves. Like, I'm looking at coaches across the way, albeit mid majors. But you look at Adama Sonogo and Jordan Hawkins, they'll come out and he'll bring in, because he's still kind of easing his way back, he'll bring in Andre Jackson and Donovan Klingon. And then Tristan Newton will commit a foul and he'll say, I'm going to bring in Hassan Diara who helped lead Texas a m to an NIT championship game. And then it's like, well, I need a three or I need something. I'm going to put in Nahim Aline. And then it, it just goes on and on with them. Alex Caravan has won Big East freshman of the week, back-to-back weeks to start the season. Alex Caravan is the best freshman in the Big East conference at this moment. At this moment, he is because Cam Whitmore has not played. My point is mm-hmm. – can't. here's the thing with Connecticut. Connecticut has been held back by the finesse of the game. They have not shot the ball well from the perimeter. They still haven't even shot the ball well this year from the perimeter. That team, though, guys, is well-rounded. They're physical. They're going to defend. Now they have more shooting. And Hawkins... Rob, the reason why I disagree with you on kind of – like I, I'm with you on the on the, the second weekend would be a very good season. I think, I think anybody would agree with you. I think even that coaching staff would agree with you. Mm-hmm. But, guys, but I'm telling you, having been around this team and watching them closely, they're going to have a couple of games this year in the Big East. They're going to have a couple – they might have one this week at the Phil Knight. Remember when they beat Auburn last year in double overtime? This team – this team has a star in Jordan Hawkins who at any given moment could hit three, four threes in two or three minutes like that. He, he gives them the spurt ability. They're dangerous because they have perimeter spurt ability. And when you defend them, and the problem is this. Takeo Siddle, the coach at UNCW, who I think does a nice job, said to me this past week that he tried to simulate in practice, what Adama Sonogo does in a game. Look at Sonogo this week at the Phil Night, everybody. He's gonna have sweat dripping down his face two minutes into the game. The guy doesn't stop working. Siddle said, I couldn't simulate what he did. My scout team players got tired five minutes into trying to do what Sonogo does. They were huffing and puffing. They go, Coach, there's no freaking way that Sonogo does this every possession down. And Siddle looked at them and goes, Yeah, he does. And you guys saw North Carolina, he's better than Armando Baycott. That was that was bold to hear, that was both mm. connecticut is loaded they are they're loaded up it wouldn't and it's not a bad thing in the big east if they are the best team it's not as
1: far as the pk 85 is concerned i feel good about this yukon's this this first round matchup that yukon has with oregon the ducks have not had jermaine Cusenard and they have not uh they, they just lost Keyshawn Barthelemy. Um, in their game against Houston on Sunday night, he was in a boot. Later on, uh, Will Richardson is probably their most talented player, and Foulad Dante has probably been their best player this season. But this is a team that three of their top five scores are centers, and four of their top five scores this season are are big men and front court pieces, and none of those guys are better than Adama Sanogo is. The biggest concern that I have with this group is that uh, Dana Altman will throw some like junk, kind of matching switching defenses at you that can be a little bit difficult to go up against and kind of limit you from being able to run the offense that you want to be able to run. Uh, they have length, and if UConn's not making threes, then it can be very difficult to find ways to create space for Adama inside. Uh, you throw all that together with the fact that Will Richardson is a guy that is capable of taking a game over on his own, uh, and you combine that with the fact that this game is being played in the state of Oregon, and there's probably going to be a heavy duck presence in that crowd, uh, it, it's not, it's not going to be a walk in the park, right? But I do think that UConn should be favored. I do think that UConn should probably get this winner. If they don't, then it'll be something that I think is fairly disappointing. Um, UConn plays a similar style. that They're a little bit different and not quite as good as Houston, but they play a similar style. And Houston played about a C-plus game and was up by 18 in the second half at Oregon in Matthew Knight Arena um, on Sunday night. So assuming UConn gets past Oregon, they're going to take on Michigan State or uh or alabama depending on who wins that my guess is it's probably going to be michigan state because i think michigan state is really good uh they are a finished product right now i don't necessarily know what their ceiling is going to be i think that kind of depends on like what Jay Nakins turns into but um they're old all of their guys got better they made elite this summer they have two really good guards and aj hogard and tyson walker only call has been really good this season joey hauser hasn't missed in like three weeks so um they're a good team, but that's putting the horse, the that's putting the cart before the horse a little bit. So before we really worry about that, let's just get this win against the Ducks, man. Let's focus on that. Put all our energy, all of our good thoughts into the ether, thinking about beating this Oregon team and giving us a chance against uh, whoever we get in the second round. So um, we have an interview with Tom Moore coming up here. Before I get into that, uh, I do want to plug this pretty cool charity venture um, that, that I was made aware of uh, earlier this week. I didn't, I hadn't heard about this, but I think it's pretty funny. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know about the Husky Ticket Project already. Uh, it's a nonprofit that raises money to send underprivileged kids from the state of Connecticut to UConn sporting events. Uh, it's an, an awesome cause, an awesome concept. Um, it's something that I uh, I get behind. It's why you see UConn fans taking shots of hot sauce all the time. It's, it's if you're not a UConn fan, you don't get it. If you are a UConn fan, then you understand. Um, well, If you are a UConn fan, you also probably know who Mr. Hotballs is on Twitter. Uh, If the Husky Ticket Project can raise $2,000 before the tip of the Oregon game, they are going to roll Mr. Hotballs up in a burrito at half court of a game, um, in the middle of the court of a game at some point this season. Uh, And I don't know if this last part is necessarily 100% accurate, but uh, I did see somebody tweeting about how if they raise $25,000, uh, that the the burrito rolling, the human burrito rolling contest will be between Mr. Hotballs and David Benedict, UConn athletic director. I don't know if that's true, but I think that if we raise twenty five thousand dollars, we can guilt trip him enough uh, to be able to make that happen. Twenty five K. It's a lot of money for a school that doesn't have uh, SEC football or Big Ten football funds coming in. Anyway, the, the link is in the description below. If you want to donate, it's a good cause. Um, even if you don't care about Mr. Hotballs or burritos. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into the interview with Tom Moore. Uh, he's a fascinating guy, love talking with him. Um, he's got stories for these. He was there for all of the biggest uh, moments in Jim Cowhoo's tenure. And, uh, I at some point, uh, we need to get a few beverages in him and let him tell stories. And I don't know if he'd do it on the podcast, but that's something that I think we need to hear. So, uh, let's get into that right now. Interview Tom Moore. Now let me welcome on to the podcast Tom Moore, who's been an integral part of college basketball in the state of Connecticut for, uh, I don't want to date you, Tom, but nearly 30 years now. A uh, longtime assistant for Jim Calhoun. He spent a decade coaching at Quinnipiac School, uh, where I think I am technically still banned from the campus. And you came back to UConn in 2018, correct, when Coach Hurley got the job. Um, so I'm thrilled to have you here, man. It's great to connect. Rob, my pleasure, man. This is going to be fun. So you – you left UConn uh, more or less at the peak of its powers back in two thousand and seven, right when the Big East was loaded with like the, the the legendary Big East teams, and when UConn was kind of routinely like a top five program, one of the best programs uh, in the entire sport. You came back to a team five hundred in the AAC. Um, there's been a lot that's changed over the last four years since you got back, but I'm just kind of thinking like, what was, what was the the biggest difference that you're seeing right now versus what um, what what happened when you kind of first got back to campus?
3: Well, I mean, it seemed, it's, a, it's an overused uh, phrase, I think, a little bit, Rob, but like Dan's culture is like totally immersed in the program now. You know, like uh, the philosophy he has about playing hard and player development and um, toughness. You know, it, it, it just sort of I'd say those are the overriding themes, I think, of the program. Uh, they're they're entrenched in UConn basketball now, you know, and that, as you know, like it takes a little while. You know, it was, uh, it, you know, that we were we were struggling and floundering a little bit there uh, when we arrived. And um, the it, it, he just did an incredible job. I think he's done an incredible job of just like it took. I think like a year and three quarters almost before, like, you started to see the results on the court. Like, the end of that second year, you could really sort of see um changes in terms of now we started to win some games that we that we probably shouldn't have, but like, it's 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 really that it's 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 the it's the uh it's it's the culture and the toughness and um that he's brought to the program that I think is like now it's entrenched and now. Obviously, the next step for us is to is to get it back to like that that championship level of accomplishments. And that's what we're excited about trying to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's the the most difficult step, right? I, not to say that it's easy, but it's doable to take a program of UConn's pedigree and get it to the point where it's back being competitive. And you're back finishing top five in the Big East and you're back making NCAA tournaments. It's that leap from being really good to being great. That is, is kind of like the, the next steps. So let me ask you this. You were there when Jim Calhoun made that leap. What, what what's it going to take? Is it confidence? Is it getting the right player in? Is it, you know, just a lucky bounce of the ball here or there and you win a title as a 7 seed like you kind of did in 2014? What, what's what's that next step?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think it is. It, for us, I think, Rob, it'll be like like Dan talks a lot about getting a biggie You know, you got to there's three things on the checklist for UConn. Like you got to try to win a Big East regular season title, Mm -hmm. which which shows your medal over like a three or four month period. You got to try to win a Big East tournament championship because that's a magical three or four nights in Madison Square Garden. You know, like in in our fan base puts a lot into that weekend. And then you got to start like advancing in the NCAA tournament. You know, there's like stages to this thing. And um, we think we're at the cusp of doing. All three, you know, and, and we're hopeful this year's team is the one that does it for us in, in year five here, you know, um, and it is. You mentioned it. I think that's the hardest part because you're in some rarefied air if you want to start doing what the former, you know, what Coach Calhoun was doing and what Kevin Olley did in 2014. You know, if you want to get to that point where you're playing and past the first weekend into the second weekend and then into a final four I mean, it seems to me like we've, we've stacked up some pretty good recruiting classes. So that's usually the first thing we've got the culture changed. We have another really good recruiting class coming in next year. I think our retention has been pretty good, uh, 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 in terms of the guys we want to have back on a year in year out basis. We've put a guy in the lottery in James book And, um, you know, so all signs are pointing towards us being able to make the next step, but, you know, we're going to have to win a big game. We're going to have to have somebody probably come up big in a big spot. And it's going to be in, in, in one of those three avenues, you know, like it might be a big game at the end of the year, this year against Creighton or Villanova with the regular season title on the line, you know, and you're going to have to win it. It might, obviously it might be that Friday night or that Saturday night in Madison Square Garden that you have to like make the big play or a big shot. We were there last, last year, you know, it was, Friday night, Villanova, the place was electric. It was second oh, yeah. half, basket, possession by possession. And they made two more plays than we did probably down the stretch, you know. So it's it's going to be that. And when you break through, you, the whole program carries itself with another level of, like, swag and confidence once you break through on one of those levels. So we're hopeful this year's team is uh, is able to do that for us.
1: Yeah, I told Dan this um, after, after the Creighton loss in 2021 in the Big East tournament that it felt so good to finally be, like, crushed by you kind of get to to finally care enough about the program and have it be relevant enough in my life that it's like all right i'm I'm, i I need this more than anything and then have it just kind of i don't know is that weird to say like it felt good to
3: be no no yeah yeah no you know what it's like uh and you notice rob like you you wave the flag for us uh on a national scale people outside this state don't realize how important UConn basketball is to the state, you know? And it's like, you know, this because we have generations of people in this state who uh, made the, pil- make the pilgrimage every year to Madison square garden, you know, like uh, everybody's got this story. Like I'm driving down to new Haven and I'm going to park my car and I'm jumping on the train and we're going in and, you know, their grandfathers went, their fathers went, they're going with their sons and daughters and, um, it's 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 an important thing because we don't have a pro sports team, you know, in the state. So now that the Hartford Whalers are no longer, it's it's really us and the women's basketball team are sort of the de facto like pro sports teams in the state. So it is. it, it feels good that we have like sort of the the weight of the whole state on us as we get towards the end of the end of the season. Long
1: live the whale, man. Long live the whale. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so when you when you took the job at Quinnipiac, right? It was, was that a difficult decision and what kind of insight now that you're coming back and you're kind of in the same role that you were in before, what kind of insight now do you feel like you have that you gained, uh, being the head coach, me, the guy that's running the program?
3: Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a, you know what, Rob, I I'll say this. It would have been a tough decision in 05 and it would have been, it would have been a tough decision in 06. And I sort of put my toe in the water in 05 and I put it in a little bit farther in 06, and But then when it came to 07, I like felt like it was my time. Um, the thing about UConn at that time is, is the program was operating, like you said, on such a high level. It's a hard place to leave. You know, like I'm, there's a lot of high major assistants and you see this across the country. When you're at one of these Blue Bloods, I mean, and you're with a head coach who's entrenched there, like Coach Calhoun, really. He had a couple flirtations with the NBA. He had, I think South Carolina called on him once, uh, one or two or something like that, where he talked to them. But he was, you know, he was entrenched in Connecticut. So you're working for a guy who's got the ultimate job security, you're getting paid great, you got great, you're winning at a high level every year. It's not really a job that you're looking to run from, you know. But like I said, I my 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 biological clock was ticking to be a head coach. It started a little in 05. Like I said, I got the interview process. I talked to a couple of people. That was great. But I really wasn't ready at all, like emotionally or whatever for that. 06, we had that tough, as everybody knows. I can't, the school that should remain nameless, right, that we lost to 06. And in, uh, in the final eight, um, you know, after the George Mason game, I don't know if I was just like so messed up from that season or not. But I, I talked to a couple of schools then and and my heart wasn't in it. But then when it came to 07, I felt like, all right, it's, it's, it's more than time. Like, I want to step out and do this. So um, I, I, I felt prepared when I got to Quinnipiac. I, I really did. And, I, and um, it, the, the Quinnipiac was an awesome experience. It was a great 10 years. I mean, they were like, you can't find a more supportive president than uh, John Leahy was uh, for me. And our, my athletic director when I, who hired me, Jack McDonald, was incredible. And uh, Billy Mecca too, as well as an assistant AD there, and just the support from the school and the community was was fantastic. And as you know, being from right there in the shadow of Quinnipiac, like the new arena couldn't have come at a better time, you know. So um, we had, you know, we were probably a possession away in 2010 from going to the tournament, and possession away in the semis in 11, and then uh, close again in uh, 13, I think it was, and and then 14. Then our first year when we went to the MAC that might've been my best team. We, we came in third to Manhattan and Iona. We went to I think three and one against those guys in the regular season. And I thought, you know, had we stayed maybe one more year in the NEC, we would have gotten that elusive NCA tournament banner, but, but, um, you know, uh, it was a great, like I said, that, that place was special. It's a great university and, uh, learned a lot. And, um, and uh but proud of like the the teams we had and proud of the guys we had in our uniform and how they competed and I think we took you know I think like Joe DeSantis did a really good job taking the program from division two to division one and and I think we did a good job of just sort of pushing it forward and moving it forward as a more of a viable mid-major division one program and and you know now Baker's going and he's trying to like just get that, get the program to an NCAA tournament, you know, and, and taking in another step. So it's been uh very fond memories and I love that place.
1: Yeah. It's near and dear to my heart. I grew up less than a mile. If you go right up the the hill, I can't, can't remember the name of the street, but if you go right up the hill on the top, I lived right at the corner of Ridge road and Dixwell. So it was, I was literally like less than a mile away. I yep. used to, I loved side street one, $2 Saranax all <laughs> summer long 2 they didn't check your ID when you walked in the door. So that was a great place to go. when I was home from college for the summer. <laughs> um, I told you I was banned from that campus. And and this is the story. If you remember when they used to have the old field house gym, right? They, they had the, the gym that was on campus and that was connected to the old field house. There was a door in the back of the field house that never locked. And starting from when I was like 14 years old, all the way up through college, like I had a buddy that lived right around the corner from me in the winter when it's cold outside, whenever we wanted to get shots up, we just go in there, open the back door, go in and shoot. Well, it was New Year's Eve. It was about 8 o'clock, and I wanted to, to go get a workout in before I went out for New Year's Eve that night. And I'm in there shooting, and all of a sudden the lights go off. And I'm like, I, I, there's an, like the emergency lights are on. I'm like, there's enough light here. I'll just, I'm will just i just going to keep shooting for a while, finish up what I'm doing. Uh, I got like my shirt off. I'm all sweaty in there. And the security guard comes like storming in. He's like, what the hell are you doing in here? You're not allowed to be in here. I'm like, uh, I'm a I'm a student. He's like, let me see your ID. I was like, I, I, I forgot it. So he ended up kicking me out, right, sending me home. Looked at my license, got my address, sent a cop up there. And the the cop was just like, dude, why are you making me do this on a New Year's Eve? Like, just don't go back to that campus, please. Please don't <laughs> get us in any more trouble. So I believe I am technically still banned because he told me I had a
3: lifetime ban from the school. Wow. Um, had I known that, like I could have maybe tried to like usher you in, right? I could have <laughs> you could have been a stowaway in my car, like for one of the games. I could have picked you up down on the bottom of the hill and brought you in and got you got you in there. Yeah. Could have been in our locker room. You know what would have been good? You could have like slept in our locker room, or our team room one night, just to like feel like you got redemption, right? Fire him up, right? Like, look,
1: this guy's playing D three. He's in here working out on New Year's Eve. What are you guys doing?
3: Really? Exactly. I'll, I'll be, I'll be your Rudy. That's what I should have been. Exactly. I would, I could have pulled some strings for you during those times to get you back on campus, but nah. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll revisit that. I needed a good kick in the ass those
1: days anyway, so I got it. <laughs> um, So uh Hurley and Calhoun, I, I think that they're both. They're both kind of similar in that, one, they're blue-collar guys that really represent the area that they're from, right? Kind of stereotypical Jersey City, stereotypical Boston, whatever. Um, They both build programs kind of on toughness and defense, and it's they do do things a little bit differently, right? But there's that same kind of identity in terms of what UConn basketball is under those two coaches. And they're both somewhere on the, the lunatic spectrum, right? Sometimes Hurley's a little bit more crazy than Calhoun was. Sometimes Calhoun is a little bit more crazy than Hurley is. Um, I know. I know Dan keeps trying to play it down. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily buy it. Um, but how, how do you how do you compare those two in your mind? Like you spent a lot of time with Jim. You've been with Dan now. What is this
3: season number five? Right? Season number oh, six? Yeah. Six because of Rhode Island. Yep. Right. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they're very, very similar. Very, very similar. I mean, uh, the thing that I think makes them the most similar uh, is there. There's a couple of things. They're ultra competitive. Right. They're like they are ultra competitive. And, uh, you know, I think Coach Calhoun, in my opinion, is the is the most competitive. I think he's the most competitive person I've ever met. I'm sure there's somebody who's a CEO at a major company and and or or is, is, is a male or female who's brought their business from like nothing to a multi million dollar corporation who's just as competitive. But in our line of work, I've never met a more competitive person in my life. Um, and I think on the high school level, I don't know that I've ever seen a more competitive coach than Bob Hurley Sr. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've never seen a more competitive coach than him um, and with more of a will to win. So, uh, Dan, you just have to, th- you know, you think of Dan being brought up with, uh, you know, at the knee of Bob Hurley Sr., and he was being brought along to the gym for every workout and every practice and every game from the time when he was probably two, three, four, four years old. And he's got an older brother, Bobby, who is like just as competitive, you know, an ultra, ultra competitive guy. And um, that's his sort of basketball, you know, uh, upbringing, you know, for Dan. So the thing about the two of them that I think is eerily similar is they're about the best thing I can say about both of them is that they're, they're, they're about their programs, basically 24, seven and 365 days a year. They're, they, they're, they're It's their immediate families and their programs. Like that's what they think about. That's what they do. That takes up every waking moment they're, uh Dan with his wife, Andrea and his two sons and coach Calhoun with his wife, Pat and his two sons it is it's, their media family and their program and that's what they're talking or thinking about morning noon and night 365 days a year and they're not out the two of them are so similar in this sense they're not out you know writing books or getting, doing commercials or or trying to hustle a, a, the, you know a, a different jump on podcasts or do you know they they like they limit the media stuff and everything and like i remember my thing rob when i like got to yukon i thought coach calhoun off the court would be like this conglomerate, you know, like I'm coming from Worcester and I had crazy respect for him, you know, like, cause I, I was around here for the 90 team and I saw what he took, how he took UConn in 86 to where it was when I got there in 94. So I'm thinking this guy off the court is going to be like a cash cow. I'm thinking like, he's got commercials left and right. And he's on every billboard in Connecticut or whatever. Like he didn't, he, his agent was, was getting him stuff. He didn't do any of that. Like he was just about like, I'm going to be in the office every day. I'm going to be around my kids around my program and I'm just going to like it, year round. There's no like, you know, three week vacations. I need a break. I'm going to, the, you know, the, to the Bahamas for like, like, no, it's like, that's what he does like year round. And that's what I, Dan is so similar. Now the biggest difference I think between the two of them is coach Calhoun was uh, Dan creates this really chaotic environment in practice. Dan is really hard on our guys in practice and he creates a ton of chaos in practice. He makes it uh, a really, really challenging environment every day in practice. And as a former head coach, that that takes a lot. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a ton of, of energy, uh, drive determination to amp that up every day for like two and a half, three hours and create this chaotic environment every day in practice. He's on those guys hard every day in practice. Believe it or not, Coach Calhoun in practice, I think was a a notch below Dan. But in games, Dan's philosophy is like, I'm gonna be your like, I'm gonna be your like hype man. I'm gonna almost be like a corner man. Like I want to empower you on game night. And I think it's because like, you know, playing Dan played for his dad. His dad was super demanding in-game. He played for PJ Carlissimo, was super demanding in-game. And then he played for coach Blaney, who was a little less demanding in game. You know, and he, I, I think he came out as he shaped his coaching philosophy. I think he came out of it and was like, I, I feel like I'll be better if I'm, if I'm empowering my guys you know, on game night in those two hours from seven to nine. Whereas coach Calhoun during games, I mean, he was, he was, you saw it. Like everybody in the state of Connecticut has seen it, you know, Young people I mean, 10 who, seconds into a game. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, And it was like during games, Rob, right? With Coach Calhoun, it was a constant test of your toughness, you know, and um, just a constant test of your toughness and uh, at every turn. So that's the biggest difference between the two of them. It's fascinating to see. I mean, it really is. And I think it's equally effective. It works for each of them, you know, in their own way. So, but the, the similarities off the court are astonishing. Like they're just like, I'll get a call, just like Coach Calhoun, I would get a call at 11 p.m., I'd get a text or something from Dan or whatever at any, any time about, you know, anything uh, year round, but about something about the team. And, and if you talked to this kid, uh, a, a recruit, a play, anything like that. So um, they're, they're very similar. I think they're both cut, obviously coach Calhoun proved it. I think Dan is cut from the same cloth and he's, he's up, he's got the chops to, to, to do this thing. Yeah. Yep.
1: All right. So give me your best Jim Calhoun story. I know you got a lot of good ones. Doesn't necessarily have to be the uh the most PG, but you know, uh, you give me something good. We've we've heard a lot of good ones on this podcast, Tom. Uh, who have you heard them from? Players? Yeah, Talik had a good one where he said that Calhoun uh got mad at a practice once and walked over to a closet and said, "Anybody um, can come in here and fight me, I'll be the one that that comes out of here." or Something like that. Uh, Marcus Williams said that uh, on national television. He walked over to him in a game where it was quiet in the gym. He's like. Marcus, how many turnovers do you have? Marcus is just kind of ignoring me. How many turn, turnovers do you have? I think I got 4. He goes, you have a million fucking turnovers, okay? <laughs> so,
3: give me something good. Oh, wow. There are there are a ton, ton of good ones. Um All right, I'll give you a good one. You will appreciate this one. Um He uh he, he was as you know, super intense on the bench, right? We we're playing at Pittsburgh Saturday a Sunday afternoon, national television. We're top five. They're top five. One of those, like Ben Howell and Jamie Dixon, late, yep. mid 2000, early 2000, late 2000, regular season game now, right? Uh, regular season game at Pitt. And the uh, ball goes out of bounds near our bench. Coach is up, like, in the coaching box, but it goes out of bounds under the basket near, uh, you know, right under the basket. Tim Higgins is makes the call, and he calls it for Pittsburgh, out of bounds off UConn. So there's subs happening as this is going on. So Tim's got the ball under his arm and he's just on the baseline. He's ready to give it a pit. And as the bunch of subs are coming in and out, of course, coach yells, you know, that was in probably saltier language than this, that was off pit. It should be our ball. Now, again, Tim's a foot from the play, coach is 30 feet from the play, but coach is saying it was off pit. So Tim goes, so Tim has some time because the subs are going, he sort of steps aside. He goes, it was off. Off you guys, you know? So now coach goes down the sideline, right to the baseline. And he's yelling, "Ah, I was off them and this and that, right? So Tim goes, he looks for whatever reason. We had an academic advisor named Ted Tagan, who was the greatest guy. He was academic advisor with us for 15, 20 years. The greatest guy, smart. And, and coach Calhoun loved him and the players loved him. And he and the refs loved him, Rob, because he was funny and smart. And he would joke around with the refs outside the huddles on timeout. So, you know, you get the same 12 guys at these games. For, you see them five, six, seven times a year. So yeah. Higgins knew Ted really well. For whatever reason, Higgins turns to Ted. Ted's just sitting there right on the baseline. And Higgins turns to Ted and says, like, ask him, you know, to coach. Whether it was out off of UConn. Are out off pit. He just like he totally blindsides Ted. And while the subs are still like getting ready to come in, Higgins is ready to go. And coach turns his head sharply and looks at him and says, you know, looks at him and Ted Ted looks at Coach. He goes, Like, it, it was off us. It was, <laughs> it was off us. Coach says, What the hell do you know? He was get, get the hell out of here. He throws Ted, Ted gets off and leaves and walks out like walks up the bench higgins is dying laughing as he goes back to to the ball and i'm like what the hell just happened now <clears throat> now fortunately for us game goes on and it, we had a charter back from pittsburgh right game was all oh, we win. you know so f- fortunately we won and uh <clears throat> We get, so we pass Ted as we're going, we shake hands, we're going to the locker room. Ted's lingering out there outside the locker room. He really doesn't know how it's going to go, but because I think we won, he was sort of invited back and he was able to like fly back with us on the charter. I thought he was going to be on a USA flight later that night, you know, on his own, but <laughs> um, oh my word. I had like, you know, there's hundreds of stories like that. You know, we had, I'll, I'll tell you if we have time, do we have time? I got one, two more minutes. Yeah, do, I- go I- ahead. All right, real quick. First Saturday night uh, that I'm I'm coaching with them f- my first year at Madison Square Garden, we're playing St. John's, Felipe Lopez, Zendon Hamilton, regular season game. We're up about 12, midway through the second half. Um, We've run, been running this play where, it's, where we like ball screen and then we back screen and we try to get the roller for the, to the rim. And I love the play. I thought it would work. And we never seemed to get it. We were always just mistiming it. Ray Allen is coming off the ball screen. Kirk King is, we back screen, Kirk King's rolling to the rim. Ray finally, like we see it, he's open. I'm all excited. Ray whips the pass. Kirk's open. Again, we're up 12, eight minutes to go in the game. Uh, I go, I'm like so excited. I'm kneeling on one knee right in front of him. I go, nice pass, Ray. And he throws it a little too hard. Kirk can't get his hands around. Hits off Kirk's hands, goes out of bounds. He turns up for a turnover. Coach turns around. And says, nice pass. <laughs> like that. He says, "Nice pass!" He says, "Nice effing pass!" Like that, you know. Sure enough, they they bring it up the sideline and score, three pointer, twelve down to nine. They press us. We turn it over. They make another three, down to six. He, the place is going crazy now. MSG, they, down to six. He walks out on the court. Gives his typical like timeout on the court. He turns around and he finds me with his eyes and he goes, this all started with your nice effing pass. (laughs) 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 Like I threw it, right? You know, (laughs) so anyway, uh, but yeah, a lot of them. I mean, his, like I said, his, there was there, Rob, those, those years, there's no one, especially in a, in a visiting arena in a big game. There's no one you want to like walk in, get off the bus with and walk into an arena with other than Jim Calhoun. I mean, he's like he's John Wayne. You know mean? Me and Carl Hobbs used to call him John Wayne.
4: Yep. yep.
3: All
1: right. Listen, I got one more for you. I'm going I'm to let you get out here in a second, but Goodman yep. told me I have to ask you this. Um, he wants you to tell us the story of uh, when you recruited Kevin Durant and what happened.
3: <laughs> we thought um, – I'll tell you this. All right. Um, I, we we recruited Kevin And I had a, uh, it it was going great. Kevin, this was like pre-cell phone, Rob. Like this was like email with Big Ben. So I remember emailing Kevin every night when he was at Oak Hill and he would email back and stuff. That's how he sort of, we we talked and stuff, but you know, he was a phenomenal player. We're recruiting him and all signs pointed to him going to North Carolina. All right. Um, I think he wanted to go there. Obviously Carolina wanted him. I think Nike wanted him there. Like everything was lining up for him to go to Carolina. But Coach Calhoun was always like, you know, hey, if it's a great player, we think we have maybe a shot. Like, just go for it. Just keep going. He, Coach Calhoun was one of those guys who didn't mind taking a loss if it, on a recruit if he felt like the kid was worth it, right? So we're recruiting him. And Wayne Pratt, his, uh, his dad, and Wanda, his mom. And I talked to Wayne, his dad, a lot more. Wayne really liked UConn. He liked the Big East. He liked that feel of the Big East. And he saw what we were doing with Rudy Gay, you know. When Rudy was a six nine, we played him at the three back then. Mm-hmm. And Wayne's thing was like he said, Kevin's like a three. Like a lot of people think he's a four, but I I see him as a three. And and he's almost like he's almost like a two, you know. Which back then, now Rob, we're talking oh what was it 05, 06, around there when we were recruiting him, like that was unheard of. And um, but uh, he believed Wayne believed that if Kevin went to UConn like we would use him just like Rudy. Now Rudy was leaving the local kid, you know, from Archbishop Spalding and stuff from down that area. And he saw the way we used Rudy. He had said, it's probably going to be a one and done. Are we cool with that? Coach Calhoun was cool with it, but it was always like Carolina. and We felt we were like in that next tier, you know, but I kept saying to coach as a coach, I don't think we're going to get him. I think Carolina is going to get him, And he's like, just stay with it. So we had him up on a visit, Wayne and Wander and him came up. Ty Lawson actually came up with him. We had Ty Lawson on the visit too. And, um, great visit or whatever. And all of a sudden they decide that they're not going to go to Carolina. Like he's getting closer and closer and they eliminate Carolina. So for like a week or two, I said to coach "I'm my like, coach, we might get him now, you know, because Carolina is out. And I think what Wayne's fear was, as I remember it, Carolina had a lot of perimeter guys and I don't know if he, you know, I think he might've thought that like, maybe they would play Kevin as a four or something, you know? And he was like, it seemed like they were really feeling Yukon. And he, he ordered his visits up and he had one more to take to Texas. And, you know, I thought we could, I almost thought we, like, we could survive Texas. Great program, you know, and they had a, that brand new facility. The facility was like brand new then. Like one of the big things at Texas's facility back then was they had like the thumb scanners, you know, like it was stated ER technology to like get in your ID thing and stuff. And uh, he went there. And I remember like, the, I remember because, you know, there was a different time. You didn't put it on Instagram. There wasn't like, a, a, I'm going to announce a commitment on this date or this time or whatever. Wayne just called me. I was driving into work Wayne called me and was like, hey, we're going to Texas, you know. And I was just like, I, I tell everybody, I, I remember the part of the road I was driving in on on 195 to get to campus when I got the call. You know, like that's when you're like you almost, you know, where you were on certain event. Like I know, I remember where I was on 195. I felt like, like taking the car and like just peeling it into the into the side of the road, you know, um, when I got the news. But, and what made it harder was that next year, we had a rough year. That 06, 07 year was like all those guys from 06 had left and we ended up in the NIT and every Monday night, you know, remember big, they used to have big Monday, oh. big East, seven o'clock, big 12, nine o'clock. It was Texas every night because ESPN wanted to feature him. So you'd see him drop 30, drop 35, drop 40. Like he, he was like, right. That whole next year, you know, but um, yeah, that would have been, that was a close one, you know? And and the other one that was the other one, that one that hurt around that time was Andrew Bynum because we had signed Andrew and then he makes his decision like at the McDonald's game later that spring to go, he was the last year where you could go right from the NBA to uh, right from high school to the NBA. You know, so that was another one where it was like two years of work and you get him and then you never, you never get to coach him. But, um, yeah, those were all, you know, those were all good times. And Ke- that Kevin Durant recruiting thing was that it was, he was a joy to deal with though. Kevin was great. Wanda was great. Wayne was great. You know, it was, it was good. The Oak Hill people were great. It was great.
1: Yeah. It, it's funny now that, uh, that you're like, yeah, I think Kevin's more of a three than a four. And it's like, well, actually, he's just the tallest shooting guard. Yeah. Now he's, yeah, yeah exactly. now he's a two. Yeah. he's a two. That's what yeah. he is. Well, listen, yeah. Tom, I appreciate the time. I know you got to get uh, get out to Portland. Are you guys leaving tomorrow yeah. morning? Is that what tomorrow, it is? Tomorrow, yep. yep. Tomorrow morning. Well, listen, best of luck out there. Um, Pre- hopefully, you'll be coming back with the title at the very least. Hopefully, we'll be coming back with uh, a team that has proven something um, against, uh, you know, kind of high major competition. So, best of luck. Appreciate catching up with you. And uh, I could talk to you all
3: day, man. I think we might have to have you on again. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. This is fun. This is fun.